Welcome to Growing Through Grief. I'm your host, Diana Curtis. Growing Through Grief is a weekly sprinkle of education and inspiration to help you take action that leads to personal freedom and greatness. I share powerful conversations with grief experts, spiritual advisors, and other courageous souls in this transformational podcast. I believe with the right support and the power of community, you can eliminate unnecessary prolonged grief. I'm here to teach you how to normalize, recognize, and use grief as a growth tool. I've been a champion for growth for decades since the loss of my mother. Together, we are growing. I'll give you weekly tips and small steps that will move the needle forward so that you are experiencing a healthy inner relationship with yourself. Let's get started. So hello, beautiful souls. I'm so glad to be back here having another conversation with you. And today, my guest is Carla J. Nolan. So get prepared for a very thought-provoking conversation. We're going to be talking about grief from many, many perspectives, death, blended family, Mm-hmm. Whatever else she wants to talk about in terms of her grief experiences. But before I do that, I'm going to just share some things about Carla. Carla is a wife. She's a mother. She's an award-winning author and speaker and a certified personal development and executive coach. She lives in North Carolina and is the founder and CEO of Reveal, Heal, and Thrive, LLC. Paula's mission is to help the working mother to prioritize herself and her dreams to the top of her to-do list with a winning strategy to achieve her goals. And I already said she's an author, but the name of her book is The Day My Heart Turned Blue. And you're going to be blessed by hearing her story, the story around the day that her, her heart turned blue. Hi, Carla. Hi, how are you, Miss Diana? I'm doing great. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah, did I miss anything? No, you got it. I got it. I <laughs> you got, got it. it. You got it. Yeah, so let's just dive right into the day. Your heart turned blue. Yeah, you would think it would have been November 27th, 2019, when I witnessed my mother take her last breath. But my heart actually turned blue when I saw her on her 78th birthday, and she was at a kind of a hospice rehabilitation uh, center, and because she was still getting... Uh, therapy and treatment, hoping that she would get better, maybe through radiation, maybe through therapy. But when I laid my eyes on her, I saw my mother sitting in a wheelchair. She was losing the ability to use her hands and her arms and her losing her ability to talk as well. This was not my mother. She got very thin. And I knew right there that cancer is starting to ravish her body. That's when grief set in because I realized this is 
a situation that is out of my control. There is nothing that I can do in this moment but grieve for my mother, be there for her the best that I can, be there for my aunt and uncle who were in Houston there with her because I live in North Carolina, so I was going back and forth. But that's when my heart was really just the cracks were just starting. And grief is it's an, a very complex emotion because when she did take her last breath, it was almost like a relief that she was no longer in pain because she couldn't talk. Her eyes were closed. She was in an induced coma, but she was released from all of that because knowing my mother, she was a retired dietitian. She worked at MD Anderson Cancer Center, which is a world-known cancer hospital. That's where she also got diagnosed with primary CNS melanoma, which is a rare cancer. She would always tell me, Carla, I don't want to be in a nursing home. I see how the patients are being treated. I see how they've been left there. I don't want to live like that. And so for her to take her last breath and be released and to be with her Lord and Savior, I said, it's almost like I could take a breath. You know what I mean? But now um, it's still a sadness because she's not here. She's always my second call when something's going on. I would call my husband and then I would call my mom. So my mom was retired. So she was always, you know, at a Beckins call. And then when something happens and I can't reach my husband because he's um, busy at work, I can't call my mother. So, you know what I mean? So, yeah. So it's, it's a constant reminder. I always tell people that's grieving, that grief is a reminder that love never dies. Love is the strongest force there is out here in this, in this world. And yeah, it's a very complex, uh, complex emotion. So that when I saw her on her 70th birthday and I just started seeing her deteriorate, I knew, I knew then there was nothing I can do but just surrender to God's will for her life at that time. Wow. So before we sort of dig a little bit deeper mm-hmm. and unfold all the layers, some of the layers that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. let's just take that deep breath. For those of us who are taking that breath for granted, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. let's just do that together. Whoever is listening right now, just join us and taking a very gentle, deep breath and exhale. And the one thing I would like to say about that is, again, for anyone who's taking that breath for granted, just remember that right there in the middle of the inhale and the exhale is the spirit of God. Amen. Let's not take it for granted that that exhale Mm-hmm. Be followed by an inhale. Mm-hmm. Yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also realize we are not doing this on our own. Mm-mm. We're just not. Mm-mm. So sending my condolences around your mother. When we first met, you talked about her so beautifully. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing with the audience your experience of witnessing your mother mm-hmm. take her last breath. I heard you use the word hope and surrendering, realizing you have no control. Nope. And the more we try to control is the less control that we have. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But it was a beautiful moment, though, because it made me realize that I was honored 
to witness her last breath. And I'll be 46 next month. And 46 years ago, she witnessed me take in my first breath into this world, right? So it was a beautiful full circle moment of life. And I'm so, so it was an honor just to be there to witness, to witness that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit more about, and, and blue is a beautiful color for me, as you can tell from my background. So <laughs> you can see the background. Yeah. I love blue. But when the blue is a little bit gloomy, share with us, and you have on a blue top, share with us a little bit about that experience of your heart turning blue before doing and after your mother transitioned to her new life? Yes. Well, blue is actually my mother's favorite color. And sometimes we equate it to something negative, but blue is a very calming color as well, right? The blue skies, the blue oceans, it's very calming. So before she passed away, my mother was visiting me in August. Um, I have Three, three boys that I gave birth to, and then I have a bonus son that came from my heart. And she would always visit about three times a year. And in August, she was in a lot of pain. And she was like, Carla, I need to get, get, get this surgery. I'm in too much pain. I was like, okay, mommy. But knowing my mother, she she was such a strong woman, right? Um, She had two double knee replacements, but she was still out there walking. She was still out there gardening. She was going on her mission trips. So for her to have a surgery, she already had two double uh, um, two knee replacements. I didn't think anything of it, but I know after she passed away, I noticed little nuggets. We were in my closet and she's like, looked at me. She's like, Carla, I'm so proud of you after everything you've gone through, everything you accomplished. And I was like, oh, you know, thank you, mommy. But it did, I didn't realize it's like, did she realize what was going on, you know, going on with her? So when she did have the surgery, open it up, they noticed that, um, the melanoma, um, ruptured and it was, um, there was nothing that they can do, but I never knew what stage of cancer that she had. So I was still in shock. And I was like, oh, my mother is strong. This is a woman that walked five miles. She eats out of her garden. She shares her garden, um, her seeds and, and fruits and vegetables. She, there was nothing she could grow. She would eat papaya, throw a papaya seed in her backyard. A couple of months later, she has a papaya tree. Nothing she couldn't grow. So everything was fresh. All her ingredients. She never went out to eat something. And, oh, my mother would be fine. So we got the news. This is primary CNS melanoma. And I'm Googling. I'm like, wait a minute. This is serious. And my mother never really liked to talk about serious things. She liked to talk about good things. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this is like the, the airplane situation. As long as the flight attendant is smiling, the plane could be going down. Everything was going to be good. So I was just keeping trusting God, trusting what my mom said. Everything was good. But then when I saw her for her birthday, I was like, no, no, no. There's something more going going on here. And she wouldn't go into detail about it. Really, there was nothing I can do. I had to give myself space to grieve. Yeah. And what nothing really I can look, do. What mm-hmm. did it really look like for you? And what did growth look like for you during that whole process? I I wasn't growing. I was stuck in shock. I was stuck in anger. I was stuck in trying to find answers. How did this happen? When she passed away, I saw the films from the surgery. I'm looking at the, I don't know what I'm looking at, right? I'm not a, a technician. I'm looking at the the, um, the x-rays. I'm trying to say, well, should I have talked to her doctor? Should I went to these doctor's appointments? Should I have seen her more? 
You know, so I went to, she always came to visit me. I didn't like going to Houston because I was running away from my childhood. But little did I know that everywhere I went, that childhood trauma went with me until I began my healing process. So growth didn't happen to me until after my mother passed away, after I was done with all the estate duties, because I was the executrix of her estate. And then there was nothing else to do. There was no other. a little bit about what that looks like. That was how do you grieve and do business dealings at the same time? Mind blowing to me. Um, I would call someone and say, hey, I need to cancel my uh, call a company and say I need to cancel my mother's cell phone service. And I used to be a contact center, uh, a contact center agent back in the day. And active listening is very important when it comes to customer service. And the customer support agent said, well, we cannot cancel the account without talking to your mother. And I had to say out loud, my mother has passed away. I had to repeat it. My mother has passed away. I cannot get her on the phone. And so saying it out loud made it made it real. I was very hesitant to even start to go back to work. I was very hesitant to get back into meeting with friends because I did not like to hear sorry for your loss. Sorry for your loss made it real. My mother is not here. Yeah. So yeah. that was hard trying to get back into get back in society. And then the pandemic hit, right? She passed away November 27, 2019. The pandemic started around, uh, well, it's probably been around for a little while, but March 2020 is when we really started um, locking in, couldn't go out, right? Unless you were going to work. So here I am sitting with all these feelings. I'm sitting with grief. I'm sitting with anger. I'm sitting with, I don't want to spiral into a depression again. And so I tell clients, I tell friends that are grieving that we can't do anything that happened to us, especially if you went through trauma, right? We like to blame ourselves or whatnot, but we do have a choice in our healing. We do have a choice if we want to stay miserable as well. So I had to make a decision. And when I made a decision that I no longer wanted to be angry, I no longer wanted to go down the slippery slope of depression. That's when the growth started. When I made a decision that I want my life to be different. Packing up my mother's things, three categories, keep, donate, throw away. Is this what I want my life to be? My mother lived a full life. She was a woman of service, of love and faith, right? She lived a full life. And I had to also come to terms with my life, right? Do I want to just leave a legacy, right? My kids will get um, whatever financial um, financials, money, whatever left to them my, and my husband. But how about living a legacy? How about living and showing, you know, my family, my children that we don't have to suffer. We can make the choice to acknowledge the pain. We can make a choice to start our healing process. We can make a choice to be intentional and purposeful with everything that we do in our life. We can make the choice to become more self-aware of how we show up in situations, how we are responding now instead of reacting. And it's going to take work, but it's so worth it, right? Because I think a lot of us have this idea when it's time for us to die that we'll be laying in our bed, all our family will be surrounding us, and we'll just peaceably close our eyes. That's not what it looks like. My mother lost her ability to talk way before she passed away. Way before she passed away. Yeah. So then what? What do you do then? This is the time now where you have breath in your lungs to be intentional and purposeful with your words, with your behavior. 
Yeah, yeah. So let me try to reflect back what I heard. You said quite a bit there. Number one, thank you for sharing your feelings, the grief and the anger and mm-hmm. um, the shock, all of that just kind of rolling around inside mm-hmm. of you. Mm-hmm. Then there was a period when whether someone said something uh, that forced you to say, my mother is not here anymore. Mm-hmm. There was a, a shifting into a sense of acceptance acknowledging, and then deciding, deciding mm-hmm. what comes next. Yep. Um, I also love what you said about that process of do- of just kind of purging through your loved one's belongings, keep, donate, and throw away. Mm-hmm. So my question now is, you mentioned you didn't want to go back to Houston because you were running from childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Are you okay sharing a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Absolutely. So I, I was raised in a household where, and again, this is from my perspective as a, as a child growing up in that house. I'm sure my um, parents would have a different perspective. But for me as a child, it was a place that was emotionally toxic. My parents didn't speak to each other only twice a year, whether it was Thanksgiving and Christmas. And then after the holiday was over, they went back to not speaking to each other. It was also a, a household where grace was not shown and forgiveness was not shown. Mm. And that was difficult for me because how do you resolve conflict? How do I resolve conflict as an adult if I never saw conflict resolved in my household? How do I show my husband grace if I never saw grace between my parents? How do I learn to forgive myself if my parents never forgave themselves or forgiven each other for whatever it is that they were mad about, right? How do I exhibit all these um, attributes and share them with the world if I never saw them? And I didn't realize the connection until I went to until I went to therapy. So there were situations where I saw domestic violence. And then um, as a child, I'm like, well, that's not going to happen to me. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have five kids. We're going to live happily ever after. But if you don't have the tools to create the life that you want, how are you going to create that? You're just going to continue the cycle of generational trauma until you're aware that this is not a healthy household. This is not a healthy relationship with yourself. If you don't have a healthy relationship with yourself, how are you going to have a healthy relationship with other with other people? So, yeah, I was um, a person who did not have a voice, but my um, my parents were of the silent generation. Right. So mm-hmm. you do as you are told. You keep your head down. You do your task at hand. And that is it. There is no resting. As long as that sun is up, you do it. You find something to do. So, again, How do I learn how to even give myself rest or feel like I'm deserving of rest if I never saw it in my in my household? So I couldn't wait to get out of there. Right. I was ready, but I did not have the tools to create something different for myself. And so I repeated these. The same thing I was running away from was the same thing I repeated in um, relationships with men. And then I would say, oh, I can't stand men, da 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 But that's not, that wasn't it. It was, it was childhood trauma. It was that inner child in me who was still wounded, who never got the emotional support that she needed, who never felt safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> never felt safe. Yeah. And so here I am getting with other people who are emotionally disconnected, like my dad, who don't provide a, um, an environment of where I can f- feel safe and just be me. Right. Um, My parents are very critical 
of me. And it took understanding of what that generation was about. My parents were immigrants to this country, so they had a survival kit that was totally different from me where I am a, a Generation X, right? We came into this computer world. We came into a whole different um, mindset. And my parents came from a mindset of survival. But I didn't want to just survive in life. I wanted to thrive and I had to create a new life for me. And even if it's something that they didn't understand, I had to do that for myself, but I didn't have the tools to do it. And that's where the anger was brewing. Mm-hmm. And I blame them for that. I blame them for for me not reaching my potential. I blame them for that. Okay, so Carla, that was that was a lot. That was a mm-hmm. mouthful. So what I gathered from that conversation was. No matter how much we try to run from the childhood stuff, we can't run from ourselves, right? So being in an emotionally toxic home, not experiencing, not having someone to model what grace looks like, what forgiveness Mm -hmm. looks like. And thank you for your vulnerability, your transparency in saying that that showed up. In your relationships, probably all of your relationships. Well, maybe I'm speaking for you now because they, the things that I experienced as a child, they show up in all of my relationships. And now I know, you know, I can't run from it. I just, just heal it. And one of the greatest childhood trauma is to not be seen or heard mm-hmm. or our parents model back to us mm-hmm. who we are as individuals. And no matter how hard our parents try, you're a mom, you're trying now, we just can't meet all of those needs, right? Mm-hmm. Just can't meet all of those needs. So you talked about the tools. Share some of the tools that you now have to support you in creating happy, healthy relationships. Yes, absolutely. And I learned to understand that we can't heal what we're not willing to reveal. Mm. So for me, it was revealing all the negative core beliefs that I had of myself, that I wasn't worthy, that I wasn't enough, and that I don't have what it takes. So it was dismantling all of that and just really doing an inventory of my life from beginning to where I am now, all the achievements highlights, milestones, what I would look at as a failure, but it truly wasn't a failure, right? It's not a failure. It's not a person. It's an event. But from that, what did I learn? What lessons did I learn that I can apply to the next situation? So it's really dismantling all those negative beliefs about myself and then starting with everything that is beautiful and authentic about me and holding on to that. Yes. I believe I heard you say your parents were a little critical of you growing up. Did I hear that? that yes. Okay. So the fact that you just share that your core beliefs are not good enough. That's mm-hmm. lines too, by the way. That is mm-hmm. true. And the way it showed up for me was got to be perfect, got to get it just right, got to do more than I'm asked to do, you know, got to, got to just exceed all expectations because mm-hmm. I'm never good enough. 
I'm never yeah. good enough. And it mm-hmm. was so unconscious for me, but it was just running in the background and no one ever really was critical of me. That's just a story I told myself. Yeah. So for anyone who's listening and thinking you're the only one who feel this way and not good enough, uh, not worthy, unworthy, not smart enough, um, all those not, you know, the not, not, mm-hmm. not. We get tied up in the not. Um, mm-hmm. The failures, the failures, I always say there are no failures. They're just growth opportunities, opportunities to grow. Are you feeling invisible? Are you sliding through life feeling hopeless and wishing someone would come along and save you? Is it time to stop wishing and time to get busy living life, creating what you desire? living a victorious life of fulfillment in a community with other compassionate hearts, healing, growing, transforming into your greatest potential. Sign up now for the next course, Growing Through Grief System, a holistic and compassionate approach to limitless growth and healing. Visit www.coachingtotheheart.org to learn more. Celebrate yourself, your life, and your legacy. We are growth seekers, mastering the game of life and creating a different reality beyond grief and loss. Mm -hmm. Are there any specific tools that you said, you said dismantle those core beliefs, knowing that they're lies. So how do, what did you do to just... Have a move away and dissipate. Just move away like water. (laughs) I named my inner critic. I named the inner critic that would tell me those things. That way I can disassociate it from myself, right? So I named mine Shady Boots because Shady Boots always got something shady to say of what I'm not. Girl, what you think you're doing? You trying to do this? You trying to do that? Why? You're going to fail. So then I hear, when I say, when I hear that, I'm like, oh, that's Shady Boots trying trying to keep me in survival mode, trying to keep me in my comfort zone to, so I won't try anything new. So now when I hear Shady Boots trying to tell me that and the voice is quieter now, I was like, oh, let me do the opposite of what Shady Boots is saying because that means there's something better on the other side of what I'm fearful of. Mm, beautiful. So name it, call it out, right? That's right, and that's right. Stops. Mm-hmm. You're paying attention to it. You're paying mm-hmm. attention to it. What mm-hmm. other tools you use? Actually, too, is recognizing when I'm in a self-sabotaging mode. For me, it's being restless, hypervigilant, because I was telling you earlier that I grew up in a household that I didn't feel safe. So then it's almost kind of like scared that something is going to happen. I have to recognize when I'm in that. And also if I'm a stickler for things, I have to be very conscious of that. Because again, like we said earlier, the more you try to control is the less control that you have. So instead of um, spiraling in that, I recognize, oh, wait a minute, I'm, I'm in restless mode. I'm not present in what's going on right now. Let me just take a moment. Like you did earlier and you did breathing exercises. That's one way to just ground and center yourself when you recognize kind of like a hot, a hand on a hot stove. Like, oh, that's hot. Wait a minute. Let me just take a moment. Right. And yeah. just breathe. Go for a walk in nature and a mindful walk. Right. 
Pay attention to all the different colors, the patterns of the leaves. Listen to all the different sounds so you're able to ground yourself. For some people, it's touch. It can be simply rubbing your fingertips or if you have a pet, actually just like rubbing, feeling the different textures, the warmth, uh, warmth of your pet. And then once you're centered, then you can take that next step of action or decision that needs to be made and just recognize the gift or the opportunity in the situation or just acknowledge Acknowledge it for what it is, right? Like my bringing, circling it back to grief, right? There was nothing I can do to preserve my mother's life. But since she passed away, the gift in that was is now I have the choice to heal. I have a choice now to live intentionally and purposeful with helping people through grief, helping people to give themselves space to uh, grieve and also share my story, which enables other people to share their story as well. Yes, yes. I'm reminded as you're talking, number one, we want to use all five senses. You said the touch, the smell, mm-hmm. the taste in there and hearing those sounds. Mm-hmm. Because the things that happen to us as children, it's embedded in our DNA, it's in our cells, it's in our nervous system. So not being in a safe environment, so Mm -hmm. things will happen to remind you, to bring that up, to trigger you. So that Mm -hmm. is very important to know. So name it, mindfulness, walking, using all five senses when you know, when you're aware that you're self-sabotaging yourself. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. How beautiful. Mm-hmm. Let's shift a little bit. So we talked about mom and the pain of losing a mother. What would you tell women, specifically women, whose mother is still alive, but emotionally unavailable to be the mom that the woman or girl would like for her mom to be? Yeah, that's a that's a great that's a great question. For me, it's simply saying that we have to understand that um, before they were our mother, they were their own person who has their own life experiences and traumas as well. A lot of us don't know our parents' story. Mm-hmm. We don't know our mother's story. We don't know what they have been through. Right. Especially if there's shame involved, they don't want to share that. They want to make sure that you're good. So it comes off as criticism because they don't know any better way to 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 maybe a better way to say it. But they really want you to survive because they may have been in a situation that they weren't able to survive. Right. So it comes across differently. And a lot of us, um, when it's shame involved or regret, regret, we don't want to share that. We don't want to talk about that. Remember when I said earlier, we can't heal. what We're not willing to reveal that goes for our parents as well. So it's almost taking a step back and looking at them through the lens of empathy. There's something maybe going wrong, going on that she may not be expressing to you and saying and telling you, but ask, mom, I really want to know your story. Yeah. Please. What were the dreams that you had as a little girl that didn't come into fruition? Mm-hmm. Right. What are the things or things that came up in your life that um, really have you stuck right now? Can you share with me what it was like? Before I came into the world and after I came came into the world, really have that conversation and be able to disassociate that not this is not my my mother so much, but actually a, a spirit who is living through a human experience 
trying to get it right. But again, like I said, when I didn't have the tools, we got to look at it too. What if our parents didn't have the tools either? And they're doing the best that they have with what was given to them. I wanted a, a, a childhood full of emotional stability and unconditional love where grace was abundant, where forgiveness was abundant. But if I had parents who are unable to give that to themselves, how are they going to show it to other people, especially me? Yeah. So the yeah. bottom line is it's a good idea to see mom as a woman first. Absolutely. Then as your mother. Absolutely. Because if you can do that, you will realize the challenges that she faced even before she became pregnant with you, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. A lot of us parents went through a lot to get the children here. Mm-hmm. And I don't think uh, some of our, some of the children, the daughters or the sons realize the struggle, realize the pain realize what happened before they got here. Mm-hmm. That blame and shame and not giving grace, hmm, that doesn't heal the family. It doesn't, it doesn't align with that legacy you talked about, the living, the legacy. So no mom's story. Give some grace and forgiveness mm-hmm. and be responsible for healing your stuff, right? Absolutely. Because again, we can't change what has happened to us, but we can make the choice to be an active participant in our healing. Healing is a choice and also misery is a choice. Which one do you want to choose? Because they're both choices, right? (laughs) Which one do you want to choose? And I, I had conversations with my older two children that I parented them through trauma. When I had that trauma lens on my eyes, everything I saw, felt, and feel was through trauma. That included parenting. I was projecting my own pain onto them because I didn't want them to suffer, but their story is so different from my story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good title, Parenting Through Trauma. Yes, mm-hmm. we are. <laughs> we that goes back to we're doing the best we know how to do at the time. We're doing with the tools that we have to do it with, right? Right. So children holding the pairs hostage, the blaming and the shaming is just not gonna get you where you would like to be. It's just mm-hmm. it's just not. And who do mm-hmm. we blame anyway? Because it goes way back. It didn't start with any of us. Didn't start with our mom and our grandparents. It goes back to the greatest parent, the greatest grandparent. So who are you blaming again? So let's just heal it. Let's just Mm -hmm. heal it. And then when your parent dies, then what do you do? Regret. Like you you can't be like, what are you gonna do? They're they're no longer here, here in the present, in the flesh. So you can't continue that blame, right? Yeah. Yeah. What is the one thing that took you the longest to learn? Whether in life, any parts of your life, what is the one thing that took you the longest to learn? What took me the longest to learn was that I can parent myself. I was looking for my, um, as a grown adult, for my, my mother to parent me. My, I'm looking for my dad to validate me. I was looking for friends to validate me took me a long time to realize, wait a minute, I can parent myself. I don't need to seek validation outside of, outside of myself. I can validate my own self. 
I, and it starts with me. It starts with loving myself. That was the longest process. And it took my mother passing away for me to start loving me again. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful mm-hmm. Because we all have those little ones that were traumatized, you know, lost mom at three. So she was mm-hmm. traumatized. Right. But I can I'm the parent now, you know, so reparent my three year old, reparent my 17 year old who was pregnant, having a baby. So the reparenting process is so, so beautiful. Otherwise, those little children inside will get in the way and block everything, right? Oh, have a full-blown temper tantrum. That's what I was doing. And it looks so different as an adult, right? We're not on the floor kicking and screaming. It comes out totally different as an adult. mm -hmm. So you shared this metaphor uh, where you talked about the brain is a muscle. Do you recall Absolutely. The brain is a muscle. It can be retrained. Just like if we haven't worked out, did uh, curls, push-ups, or any of that, if we started now and had a regular routine of doing our push-ups and sit-ups, we will start to build strength. It's no, it's, it's no different with our brain. We try to use the term, oh, you can't teach a dog new tricks. No, there's neuroplasticity. You can create new habits. You can create new neural pathways and um, start to do things differently and shift. Not saying that things will happen in your life that won't that you won't get upset or that stress may start start to creep in. But you're not in that place for so long. You're not in spiraling like for days and days in you're like a hot hand on the stove. You're recognizing, oh, wait a minute wait a minute, let me do the breathing. Let me do the touch, feel, taste, like we were talking about earlier to calm myself down. And now we're starting to create new habits. We're starting to step, take a step back and making the decision of how we're going to respond yeah. instead of reacting. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's good, that's good. I was just listening to my teacher, one of my teachers, Dr. Gabor, And he was talking about the level of loneliness and isolation and separation. And we know some of this came from the pandemic, but even prior to the pandemic, it was just a lot of people separating themselves Mm -hmm. because they do fear that they will be judged and shamed for who Mm -hmm. they are, Mm -hmm. especially if they're struggling with something that they might call depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. whatever it is, which in a lot of cases really just grief is something wanting to come up and out. So you grieve it and you will soon realize, wow, I'm all better now. So, but we as a society can be very critical of people who don't act like, don't think like, don't respond like us. So folks will say, I'll just be along. Were there any loneliness or isolation moments in your life? Absolutely. Um, Way before my mother passed away, I suffered from depression. At one point, I was on 150 milligrams of Zoloft. 
And it was just numbing me. It wasn't, I wasn't solving anything. It was just a Band-Aid. And that was, that's a really high, a high dose. I isolated myself. I was very functional. I was an um, excellent employee, right? Strong contributor. There for my children. There for my husband. House clean, everything. Like, you know, meals, pre- everything's done. So on the outside, like, oh, life is good. I kept the smile on my face, but there was sadness behind the smile. Frustration behind, behind the smile. Yes, I would isolate. People would invite me to to things oh I would make up excuses and don't and don't go or blame oh I gotta do something something with the kids right when I was um pregnant with my third child I was laid off from my previous employer and then I got pregnant here I am 35 pregnant single mom with two kids oh guilt shame regret I didn't even want to tell people about my baby because I didn't want to hear what they had to say so yes I isolated myself And that's where the enemy wants you, isolated and separated from everybody, because then that's exactly where he has you. So I would always tell people that I was a brick mason. Oh, I would build up this brick wall in front of me. But then when you look around, you done built yourself in a brick castle. You're the only one surrounded by bricks. No one can reach you. No one can get to you. It's self-imposed. It's a self-imposed prison. And how did you come out of that? How I came out of that was um, it did. I didn't come really. I didn't come out of it until my mother passed away. And then my world flipped upside down. Like, wait a minute. I don't want to live like this anymore. I have to make I don't want to use half because that's putting pressure on you. But I mm-hmm. made the decision, made a decision to heal. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now that you know a lot about grief, you've experienced depression, you've experienced Mm -hmm. grief. What are some commonalities there that people might confuse depression? Well, we all know there's a clinical aspect of depression Mm -hmm. and there's also an aspect where you're just depressing. (laughs) You're pushing it down. You're suppressing those emotions And they're wanting to come up and express themselves. So it looks like it feels like depression. What would you say about that? What it can look like is not wanting to get out of the bed, loss of motivation, Mm-hmm. Right. You're just doing the bare, the bare minimum. And you barely want to do that when it's impacting your work, when it's impacting your relationships where someone can ask you a question and you're biting their head off. Right. Yeah. Those are tell, telltale signs. Fatigue. Um, especially with black women, we try to keep pushing ourselves, pushing ourselves, pushing ourselves to the brink of where we got high blood pressure, stress, and all of these elements because we are not taking the time to take care of ourselves in our in our bodies. It's a loss of hope. That is what I had was a loss of hope above all else. Loss of hope because if you don't have hope, then you're unable to create goals for yourself. You're unable to feel inspired without hope. I had nothing. Yeah. And how much of that depression would you say you release just by grieving it? How much of it was depression versus grief? It was all of it. I gave the inner child in me a moment to cry, to cry for herself. Instead of being angry, I I prostrated on the floor and just cried. 
And it was a it was a different type of cry. It wasn't a cry like, oh, whoa, it's me cry. I'm tired of the world attacking me. It was giving myself space to grieve for her. Mm-hmm. Never grieve for her. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Yeah. Once I did that, it 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 opens the door for me then the healing to begin. Yeah. Because now we now I recognize the pain. That's why all of this frustration is coming from. That's why I'm compatible with my husband, right? I was able to label the feeling and recognize I never gave the little girl and me a moment to just cry. Yes. Thank Grieve. you for sharing that. Um, mm-hmm. You reminded me of January this year. I did exactly that. Mm-hmm. It was a moment. It was a moment for me. The pain was excruciating. (laughs) It was excruciating pain that I just created that space Mm -hmm. just to feel what my three-year-old needed to feel. Nobody could do that for me. Money can't do that for me. My kids, husband, boyfriend, no one can do that for you. Mm -mm. And there was such a clearing. There was such a mm-hmm. <sighs> refreshing. Yep. No, it's not going to bring my mother back. But it certainly helped my three-year-old realize that. Mm-hmm. Okay, baby, you're holding some stuff in. Yep. And as I reparent my inner children, I get to do it at all levels. All levels. Yep. And for anyone in who's listening to this episode, and you may be confused about inner children and that phrase. This is there's a whole body of work out there. This is research. This is science. This is not something that Carl and I are making up. In fact, if you really pay attention to it, you will realize that there are parts of you that just continue to struggle over and over and over. And Mm -hmm. basically when we say the inner children, we're thinking back, well, what age was I when I experienced this the first time? Mm -hmm. What age was I? So we name it, as you said earlier, Carla, we think about the age. Eric Mm -hmm. Erickson doing this whole body of work around age stages. There are things Mm -hmm. that happen from zero to three, and that's what shaped and formed our life. And then we Mm -hmm. move on through life like nothing is happening. The body remembers all of it. Mm -hmm. And the only thing we can do at this point is to heal it. Mm -hmm. To heal it one breath at a time. Mm -hmm. So, wow. Time moves really, really quickly. (laughs) I can't believe we've already been talking 45 minutes. So with that, two things, two questions. And the next maybe few seconds, is there anything else that you would like to share that any questions that I didn't ask that you would like to share with the audience? And then I have a second question. Mm-hmm. One question we didn't talk about is how am I growing through grief now? Mm-hmm. And um, to answer that is showing up um, with you here and talking, mm-hmm. sharing, sharing my story. And then for the listeners, too, as you're growing through grief, write out the vision for your life um, since you're 
now since your loved one has passed away, what does it look like on the other side of your healing? What do you want that to look at look like? You have a choice now in your healing. If you need to seek professional help, do so, but actually write it out, right? Let's start manifesting what we want into our life and bringing more healing, more love and more light into our life. We get to create that for um, for ourselves. And that's the whole beauty of this whole experience we call life. Yeah, but keep in mind too, when you're talking the vision and uh, the future and going forward, sometimes most all times, you do have to look backwards a little bit. You don't mm-hmm. have to waddle in the pain, but right. oftentimes we have to go back and peek at the things that happened, whether it was in your childhood, your experiences, or it could have happened yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's crucial that you go back and look at what else is going on in your life, the other losses. Mm-hmm. So my second question is to all of your information will be in the show notes. So everyone will have an opportunity to find you there, your social media links, whatever. Mm-hmm. But what else are you up to? I understand you have a gift for the listeners. I do. I do. So for, for the first 25 podcast listeners, I want to give them a free uh, ebook download and you can go to my website, revealhealthrive.com, click on books and then click on claim your free gift. And you can download um, the ebook version of the bereavement companion journal to the day my heart turns blue. The book is about my story, but the bereavement companion journal is about your story. And this is where you start writing out everything that you're feeling. I have journal prompts and also have check-ins in between each chapter because grief looks different from day to day, right? Week to week, month to month. And so that really gives you time to really sit and really think of, have a self-awareness moment. How am I feeling? Is there some help that I'm needing at this time? Do I need to create a new support system to help me during this time? So that's my free gift to the listeners that they can download now. And the code expires at the end of July. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanking you for my uh, listeners. Mm -hmm. So I would like to close with a comment that you made about your mom and the gardening and how she could just grow anything and in doing so just to remind the listeners that growth never stops growing nope and neither should us neither should you it's that's right growth growth evolution mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there you have it it's another episode thank you so much carla thank you're very you. welcome it was a pleasure yeah. And to my listeners, I'll see you same time next week, next Tuesday. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Growing Through Grief and being part of this loving community of women. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share and spread the word. Let's help all women become richer and more nourished in their heart so that they're able to just keep on rising. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or topic ideas, or you would like to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at coachingtotheheart.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you 
on the next episode. In the meantime, keep on growing.